निरंजनम नित्यम अनंतरूपम भक्तानुकंपाधृत विग्रहम वै ईशावतारम परमेशमिड्यम तंग्राम कृष्णम शिरसानमाम जननीम सारदाम देवीम राम कृष्णम जगत गुरुम पाद पद्मे तयो स्रत्वा गनमामी मुहुर मुहु नमस्वीयति राजाय विवेकानंद सूरय सच्चिद सुख स्वरूपाय स्वामीने तापहारिने नमस्कार स्वामी जी हाँ नमस्कार नाउ वी आर गोइंग टू कंटिन्यू विथ अ स्टडी ऑफ कर्म योग वी वेर स्टडिंग द थर्ड चैप्टर ऑफ स्वामी विवेकानंद कर्म योग द सीक्रेट ऑफ वर्क एंड वी फाउंड दैट द फर्स्ट दिस चैप्टर स्टार्टेड विद द आइडिया दैट देर आर थ्री टाइप्स ऑफ हेल्प द फिजिकल हेल्प द इंटेलेक्चुअल हेल्प एंड द स्पिरिचुअल हेल्प and swami ji was indicating that the spiritual help is the best help because that can remove the uh, wants the necessities of life permanently which can give us the ultimate fulfillment and after that he uh, proceeded to that the various types of work the good the evil and the mixed and in the last class we were discussing that section and now swami ji gradually will enter into the section where it speaks of our habit getting converted into nature so it's very important to groom ourselves <clears throat> sometimes we find that when the small children are making small mistakes we uh, have that idea what's the idea that oh, when they grow up it will be all okay but we forget sometimes that when we are growing all the things which with which we are getting habituated that is going to become our nature and then or it will be almost impossible to transform our nature suddenly it is impossible as we have indicated previously from that aesop's fable story that one fox fell in the blue dye and the entire uh, the animal kingdom in the forest started thinking that yes it's a new animal why not make it our king and the fox thought that it has to be silent if had to maintain that position of the king then it has to be silent because once it howls he will be caught out but he couldn't resist after a few days the howl almost came out spontaneously and all the fox in the forest started howling in resonance to it and he was immediately caught he was found out that what actually he is so it's the story which speaks that unless we are grooming ourselves 
to really transform our habit, to transform our character. Then as per the situation is required, suppose we are positioned as per our degrees, as per certificates in some responsible position. And we think now we will transform. That our old habits should go and we should try to behave as per the responsibilities concerned. Know it for certain, our condition will be like that fox. The howl will come out spontaneously because that's the strength of our nature. The subconscious mind is very strong. It is very, the, compared to the conscious mind, the subconscious mind is very strong. That's why we find whatever we try consciously, it is overwhelmed by the impulses, the tendencies of the subconscious mind. Again and again, it happens in our life. It's only because we have not groomed ourselves properly. And Swami Vivekananda enters that section where in the last class we read, it's a quite long section where the gist is this, that if we go on doing uh, things, the good things, if we are thinking good, doing good, then that becomes our nature. And once it becomes our nature, in spite of ourselves, we will be behaving uh, in a very reformed manner. Our character will be good. Even if we are placed in a situation where there are a lot of temptations, a lot of lures to behave otherwise, we will find that what has happened? My nature is not allowing me to do so. In this regard, I will just uh, relate an incident, uh, which I still remember. Uh, in one of the alumni, this uh, get together, in the alumni get together in, of our, in one of our Ramakrishna mission schools, where the alumni came, they were uh, just relating their experience. And one of the ex-students, when he started talking, he told, well, the Ramakrishna mission has made my life horrible. So we were just a bit uh, taken aback. Why he's saying such? And then what he told was really something revealing. He told, when I am in my office, where we find that, that behaving in an untoward way, uh, taking that, what you say, the advantages, the Rishwat, uh, in the immediate, the English word is not coming in my mind, that the bribes, yeah, that immediate, that the taking bribe, sometimes it is something very rampant practice. And he's saying that for me, I find it's, it has created a tremendous turmoil. That, you know, the system is such that the bribe amount is shared by all and it goes to you even if you don't want. So that all keeps quiet. And he says others accept it so easily. For me, it creates a tremendous turmoil only because I was groomed in Ramakrishna mission. It becomes, it never allows me to be at peace. But others are quite happy with it. So then we understood that what he's saying is something actually good, not something against us. That it has imbibed certain values, which keeps your conscience always alert. You find, you really find that you are not at ease with yourself even when you are forced to do something wrong, 
your nature has totally transformed. So that's the thing Swamiji is saying. We find and this, just the opposite happens with the one who has not groomed themselves properly. However they may try, even all the situation is favorable, they behave in a way which actually speaks of their own uh, deterioration as well as the disintegration of the entire teamwork. We will find that there are some people like that. So it speaks of the neuroplasticity, the way we wire our brain. The brain never stops growing. Sometimes we think that in old age, the brain stops growing, but the present neurosciences, the brain never stops growing. And in this context, we find the words of Ramakrishna so practical. He's saying, Jabot Bachi Tabot Shiki. As long as I live, so long do I learn. The learning never stops. We can grow, we can go on just trying to change our ways of life. And that's the real learning, which we will come to that the discussion. It is not the gathering of information that is real education. Education, as has been defined by Sri, uh, Swami Vivekananda, referring to the life of Ramakrishna, he saw something in the life of Ramakrishna, which gave him that conviction that what's the real education? It's not the gathering of information. The real education is, according to Swami Vivekananda, is a nervous association of ideas. What it means? The ideas have become your reflex. It has been internalized in such a way, it has been assimilated in such a way that they have become your reflex. Your total reflex mechanism has changed. Swami Vivekananda saw it in the life of, life of Ramakrishna, that the general tendency of the human being is to get lured by money. And he saw in Ramakrishna's case, the total reflex has become just the opposite. If even unknowingly he touched some coin, what to speak of coin, any metal, immediately his entire body will recoil. He used to say that I cannot touch metal. He will take food in banana leaf because he cannot touch metal. Swami Vivekananda thought it's something which cannot be true. But he says that as the moment he touches metal, even unknowingly, his body recoils in pain. He thought, how can it be true? Is it, is it really possible? And to test Ramakrishna, one day Swami Vivekananda, what he did, this is a very common story, most of you know, that he kept some coin below the mattress when Ramakrishna was not in his room. And he was hiding himself to see how Ramakrishna reacts when he comes and sits on the bed. After some time when Sri Ramakrishna returned, the moment he sat on the bed, the coin was below the mattress. Of course, in, if we say the mattress, we have the idea as now in Australia, it's a very thick thing. It's not so in, uh, in India, you will find in a tropical climate, the mattress can be quite thin. So where if anything is placed below the mattress, you may you have the chance to fill it, though you are sitting on the top of the mattress. And that's what happened. Sri Ramakrishna immediately jumped up from the bed, shouted 
as if in pain, screamed in pain and called his nephew Ramlal. But please come and see if anything is there beneath the mattress and the coin was found out. And Naren came out. He was really surprised. Ramakrishna was happy that he was tested. He told, yes, that's the way you should have faith in a holy man. See him in the day, see him in the night. A holy man cannot be a part-time holy person. He has to be 24 by 7 holy person. He cannot say that only for some morning, 6 o'clock to night, 8 o'clock I am holy and at the rest of the time I am not holy. That is, that cannot be a, uh, what you say, a, in any way, the sign of a holy person. The real holy person is 24 by 7 holy man. That's what Sri Ramakrishna is saying. Shadhu ke dine dekhbi, rate dekhbi, tobe shadhu bole janbi. That see him day in and day out. And then be convinced of the fact that he's a real holy man. So he was very happy that he was tested. And Ra Swami Vivekananda now learned that what real education is. It is a nervous association of ideas. Seeing Ramakrishna. Ramakrishna used to say a wonderful thing. Seeing the people of Calcutta, the so-called educated people of Calcutta, when he started intermingling with them, he started saying a very, a very interesting thing. He used to say that what's your, the education of this so-called uh, university people, all you know, all those who are coming out of these universities, they have such big degrees. They are all placed in the society in such high position, reputable person. But their condition is like a vulture, used to say. The vulture soars very high in the sky, but its focus, it has a very sharp eyes. It is flying so high up in the sky, but its focus is in some dungeon down on the earth, in some dungeon where there's some rotten flesh. His focus is there. He's searching for that, though he's soaring very high. That's the example Ramakrishna used to say that what's the thing that for us in the present age, education has something to do with just the gathering of the information to develop certain skills. It has nothing to do with the transformation of our nature. And that's why we find that all the evils in the society, in spite of all rules, regulations, of wonderful laws, of wonderful isms. There's a rampant prevalency of uh, all the ills in the society because the man who is going to implement those isms, the human being who is going to implement all those ideologies, he himself or herself has not refined. So that's the main problem with Swami Vivekananda. In the chapter, uh, you know that we were discussing in the previous class, that all the reformations should be from bottom to top, not from top to bottom. There cannot be any, any uh, reformation from top to bottom. It has to come from within. The human being has to be illumined. He has to change his nature and then only the society can change. And that's why Swami Vivekananda is bringing this topic in the discussion. So now we will refer with this introduction, we will go to the text refer to the text and continue with our further discussion. So here, as the tortoise tucks its feet and head inside the shell, and you may kill it and break it in pieces 
and yet it will not come out even so the character of that man who has control over his motives and organs is unchangeably established so here actually swami vivekananda is quoting from one of the slokas of bhagavad gita yada sangharate chayam kurmongani vasarvashah indriyan indriyarthebhya stasya pragya pratishthita so one who is able to withdraw the senses from their objects just as a tortoise withdraws its limbs into its shell such a person is established in divine wisdom so it's really one of moments you will find these are the ideas uh, which you will find in all the perennial scriptures so this is the basic thing even in the present in the west what happened uh when america was rising when swami vivekananda was in the west we find the states is believing in the idea of freedom that you shouldn't restrain yourself in any way why should you restrain your senses for them freedom meant freedom of the senses actual the real freedom as of which all the scriptures speak of is freedom from the senses but somehow that new nation the bubbling new nation thought the real freedom means freedom of the senses there's a huge difference between this two to be freedom from the senses means you all understand to transcend the so called the needs of the senses you have disciplined yourself in such a way the instincts the impulses have no control over you it is the you who have control over them in this life we know that is wonderful saying in english that if you make the mind your master know it for certain it is the most tyrannical master and if you can make it your servant it is the most obedient servant so that's the thing which that nation was yet to understand the bubbling rising nation and swami vivekananda when he was delivering a lecture and the topic of renunciation came he was eulogizing renounce this renunciation which is you will find the basic tenet in all the perennial philosophies of the world the idea of detachment of renunciation and suddenly one young fellow who was in the audience stood up and just interrupted swami ji by saying swami swami it seems you are from a medieval you are from the medieval ages in america we speak of freedom it seems you are you are coming from the medieval ages to preach us about renunciation being interrupted swami vivekananda stopped paused for a while he was pacing up and down the dais and then as if in response to that young boy's interruption what he told was something very very significant it was not a part of the lecture this quotation we find in the new discoveries mentioned swami ji told prattle babes prattle yours is just 200 years civilization 
have a civilization as old as ours, then you will understand the true significance of renunciation. So what he's saying, prattle, babes, prattle. So what is the prattling? Prattling we all know. Even in our house we find the young ones are growing and seeing their untoward ways, sometimes the parent tries to just instruct them, admonish them by saying that that's not the way it is going to harm you. And immediately the child you will find, it's a very common thing, will start delivering a lecture to their parent. Well, you are off debted. You are of the another generation. You don't know the ways of life of the present generation. It's all okay. At last the parent finds it is almost impossible to explain to the children. And then the parent says the same thing as Swamiji is saying to the entire nation, prattle. You think that you are as if speaking some wise words, words of wisdom, but it is just mere prattling. All useless words babbling out from the mouth of a baby. So prattle, babes, prattle. You have no experience. Yours is just 200 years civilization. It's a young civilization. You have to yet go a long way. Yours is just 200 years civilization. Have a civilization as old as ours. From the Indian background, you were saying, then you will understand the true significance of renunciation. Why we are just indicating this? So the entire nation need not have to wait long. In just another hundred years after the passing away of Swami Vivekananda, I myself have watched a movie produced by the American government. When I was in India, in one of the IITs, I saw that movie. I was there and by chance uh, that the movie was that day being shown to the students there and I was there, I also saw that movie. The name of the movie is Two Million Minutes. Two Million Minutes. So if you convert this two million minutes into years, you will find it will be approximately some four years. Two million minutes is approximately four years. So this movie is actually about the four years in a student's life, very crucial four years, from the ninth standard to the 12th standard. This is the time, as per their education, they're going to choose the stream in the university. And that will decide to a great extent their future, their profession, their future, their career, everything will be decided by that. So this four year is very crucial. The movie is based on these four years. So that's why the name is given two million minutes. And the movie starts with an interview, with an interrogation, to inter interview to the three students. One is the Indian student from the Indian background. One is the American student from the American background. And one is a Chinese student. And now the one who is the interviewer, who is just interviewing, he asks the same question to all the three. Well, what's your aim after the two million minutes? So all these three students were in the ninth standard, just they have been promoted to the ninth standard. So they have now already started developing their uh, this, the ambition that what they're going to do in future. So that's the time. 
when this question was asked. So what's your plan after the two million minutes? What do you want to be? The American student replied he wants to get admitted to MIT, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, the most reputed institute of technology in the world. Very good. The Indian student, almost the same type of ideology, <coughs> ideal, he also expressed that he wants to get admitted in IIT, the most reputable institute of technology in India. The Chinese student also, the same way, one just told that he wants to get admitted in the most reputed technical institute in Beijing. Well, now they started showing the life. The American student goes to school, comes back to school. His education is limited only going to school. After coming from school, now he is a teenager. He has the freedom. Now no one can just restrict him. He has the freedom to move out, to socialize, to go for parties. And that's what they're showing, that he's quite happy with that freedom. He's quite happy. He's leading that free life, which of course speaks of freedom of the senses to a great extent. Now they show the life of the Indian student. It's just the opposite. There they show for the Asian countries, for India, for China, the mother is a tiger mother. Right? She is just a tiger. So there they show that that strict regimentation, the child comes back and under the strict vigilance of the parent, they come, they sit for their studies, most probably some little time they've spent with the friends, then they come back. And there's strong vigilance. Not only that, the more the examination comes near, the regimentation becomes more stronger. The student is not even allowed to go to the dining table lest he wastes his time. The food comes to his table. There is study table. The Indian brand Bonvita is shown is there on the table of the child, of the student, so that he need not have to go to the dining table and waste his time. So that's the regimentation. The Chinese student is also very similar to the Indian student. Now the next scene, two million minutes is over now. They ask, first they show the Indian student, again they interview, have you reached your goal? You had the plan to get admitted to IIT? So he says, I couldn't get chance in IIT, but I got chance in a very reputed engineering college and I'm happy. So he's happy. The Chinese student also has reached the goal. He is happy. And now they show the American student at last. First, Instead of asking him how he is feeling, how is he, whether he has reached his goal, they show his life. That he's quite happy, socializing, going for party, having uh, this dinner, this, uh, what you say, there's a lot of get togethers. All those things they're showing that his life has not changed. He's quite happy. Now they ask, well, you are so happy, you are so bubbling. Most probably you have also reached your goal. And they told, sorry, because I, I am continuing my study, but in no way I have in near uh, the, the, have the chance to get even near the MIT. So now the third sin is a big question mark in the screen. Now it's the American government. They have produced this movie to create awareness among the American students. It's a wonderful movie. 
Now in the third stage, it is the American government who is asking now the American students. Well, will you be satisfied with the way of life you're leading? Don't you see this the Indians, the Chinese who are coming to our country to take over the CEO positions, the highest positions of all the this, uh, international uh, organizations of, of which of which we are the owners. We own all these in the, in the industries, all these organizations, the Microsoft and everything. But for that, the positions has to be filled up by those, those from the Asian countries. Will you be satisfied with this? Don't you think there should be some change in your ways of life? So now you refer to the Swamiji's quotation. Just 100 years back, prattle, babes, prattle. Yours is just 200 years civilization. Have a civilization as old as ours, then you will understand the true purport, the true significance of renunciation. So we cannot build our life. Even in psychology, we will find that there's a lot of research is on delaying the gratification. The famous marshmallow experiment speaks that when the children, when the experiment was done on the children, they found that's very interesting. The psychologist goes to a child, offers him a marshmallow or her a marshmallow, and the child is about to grab it. The psychologist says, wait, do you like marshmallow? Yes. Well, would you like to have the second one? Of course. Then you have to wait for 10 minutes. I have some work. I will come back after 10 minutes. And if you don't take the first one, it will be there in front of you. It has been clipped in a plate in his front. It will be there. But if you just wait, whenever I come back and I still, still see that the marshmallow is still there, I give you the second one. And there is a surveillance camera to see the reaction, the way the child is behaving in the absence of that psychologist when the child is alone. And it has been found, those videos are really, you will really get a look, uh, it's something, uh, it's real fun, real fun, that the way the children are behaving. That someone girl was pulling her hair to get distracted from that, that pain will distract, that lure for the uh, marshmallow. She was pulling her hair and so many things they were trying to, but most of them succumbed. Even the, though they knew that if they wait for 10 minutes, they're going to get the second marshmallow, most of them succumbed. They took it. Only a few could somehow, somehow resist that. The experiment doesn't end here. Now all the children this, on whom this experiment was done, or was done, they kept a track that how they are performing in their studies, in their life. After 10, 15 years, a wonderful thing was found out. It was those children who could delay their gratification. It is they who have really prospered in life. It's not the one who had high IQ, high intelligence. We generally have the idea that the high IQ is the primary factor. No, the primary factor is this faculty of delaying the gratification, which really decides our course in life. 
It's a modern research on psychology. The marshmallow experiment, you can go to the YouTube and find out. And what they're saying, that what makes these young ones who can delay their gratification to really prosper in life? The very simple fact that they are not myopic. They are not short-sighted. They can see what's waiting for them ahead. They are not lured by the short-term games because the long-term games are always in their awareness. That's a simple fact of life. Renunciation is not something negative. It is something positive. Renunciation means I renounce something trivial for something which is really a treasure. That's the renunciation. I'm not really just renouncing something. I'm renouncing something trivial for something great. Just there's a wonderful way of saying it that one person went to a renunciate, a monk, and told, oh, you are great. Well, why? Because you have renounced everything. And the monk replied, it is not me, it is you who have renounced. And the man was really surprised. He asked, how come? How come I have renounced? Then this monk replied very nicely, I have renounced something trivial for something which is the real treasure. And you have renounced something which is real, the real treasure for something which is trivial. Now say whose renunciation is great. So that's the idea. So if we know that what that this is waiting for me ahead, then this so-called controlling ourselves becomes something which is having no negative implications. It is actually having a, all the positive implications. It is going to build our life. It is going to build our character. And that's the thing which has been indicated in this sloka in Bhagavad Gita, that just the way when, you, when the tortoise is in danger, immediately it will withdraw its limbs within the shell. Even if you just try to, if you kill it, still it will, won't come out. It just withdraws. So Bhagavad Gita gives that allegory. A person who, just like the tortoise, can withdraw his senses whenever the lurements are there. Know it for certain. He's established. His pragya is established. His wisdom is established. No one can shake him. And such are the persons who are the real educated. Unless the entire world, the glo in the global scenario, this thing gets importance in our process of education. We can never get rid of the distensions that there's, there's so much of turmoil, dissension, all the evil practices which is going on in the society. It's one of the basic thing, which is the prime factor of education this internalization of the values. So that's the thing which is Swamiji is indicating. He controls his own inner forces and nothing can draw them out against his will. By this continuous reflex of good thoughts, good impressions, moving over the surface of the mind, the tendency for doing good becomes strong. And as a result, we feel able to control the Indriyas. Just we thought, it says, is, what is good 
anything which leads to long-term happiness. What is evil which lures us for the short-term happiness, forsaking the long-term ones. Those are all evil. In short, we can just say that. So constant and for that, to get established in that goodness, we have to work out. At the beginning, it may not be something which is very pleasurable. That's why in Bhagavad Gita, how nicely they have distinguished between Sattvic Sukha and Rajasik Sukha. Sattvic, the better one, the Sattvic Sukha. What is that? Which at the beginning appears to be poison, but which ends up as nectar. Agre Vishamiva, Pariname Amritopam. That is Sattvic. And Rajasik is just the opposite. Agre Amritopam. At the beginning it appears to be like nectar, but it ends up in all sorts of evils, in all sorts of uh, disintegration. That's what the Rajasik Sukha is. The Rajasik Sukha, which lures us in life, is just like the sugar-coated quinine tablet. The quinine is very bitter. So that's why it is encapsulated by some sugar coating. And when the children have to take that tablet, they find it very sweet. Though they're instructed, just simply swallow it. They have a tendency to suck it, go on suckling till that bitterness comes out. And that's what the Rajasik Sukha is. It's all like that sugar coated quinine. It gives the, all the sweetness at the beginning to end up in all the bitterness. So that's why we need some practice at the beginning. This is constant practice to con this, how to control the reflex so that I can, that this goodness becomes my reflex. It becomes a reflex at present. All the lurements is the reflex. I can change it as a human being. We have that capacity. Only the human beings are responsible. You will find even in the scriptures it is mentioned. All other animals are just, uh, what you say, they, they are fructifying. They're experiencing the effects of the actions they have most probably done as a human being. No other, the gods, the so-called gods enjoy the results of the good deeds they have done in the human birth. The animals, most probably sometimes they were humans. They are just experiencing the evil effects of their bad karmas they have done. Only the human beings are responsible for their actions. That's what they say in the scripture. Now, what they're saying is something very interesting. If you just try to find out what the word responsible means, no animal, not even God, can has the ability to respond. For them, the stimuli response is fixed. For a particular stimuli, they're bound to respond in a particular way. As a human being, we have the capacity, we have the choice how to respond. I'm hungry, I'm about to take my food, someone knocks the door and says for few days, I haven't had any food, I'm starving. As a human being, I have the capacity to forsake my meal. I can say that, okay, it is not going to harm me. I can forsake one meal, I can give it to him. Or I can simply, simply kick him off. That what I do, this response is my choice. As a human being, I have that faculty. I can choose my response. 
I have the ability to respond in my in a particular chosen way. And that's what's the meaning of the word responsibility. Response ability is responsibility. So we as a human being are the only responsible beings. The animals are just guided by their impulse. Even the gods are just guided by their impulse. The angels are guided by their impulse. Because we as the human being are responsible. Responsibility. And that's why that this has been indicated. That we have that capacity. Through practice, we can change our response. As a human being, we have that capacity. And that's why the Swamiji is indicating here. This continuous reflex of good thoughts. That's the sadhana. That's the practice. Like with, with my will, I just go on doing it. What is will today gets converted into reflex tomorrow. All the will becomes spontaneous tomorrow. My, as a human being, our emotions are guided by the will. We can do that. The, at the beginning, the will has to take the upper hand. And in due course, the emotions, the good emotions, the good thoughts take the place of the will. It becomes spontaneous now. You need not have to work on it. Uh, at present, constantly we have to use our willpower. In, in, in the long run, there's no need of willpower. The goodness becomes spontaneous. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say, an adept dancer never have a false step. Never have false steps. His steps are, his or her steps are always in rhythm. What he's saying, what Ramakrishna is indicating that when you, are, when you are just learning, you have to be very cautious. You have to be very alert to st always see that your step is always in rhythm because you're yet to learn, you're practicing. Your full alertness is on the music. Once you become an adept dancer, even while dancing, you can improvise. Means you have become so adept Knowing it for certain, with the full confidence, you can do that. Even if your mind is not totally on the music, you're teaching your students, you're talking to them, you're instructing, but still your fits will be in the rhythm. Because now this has become spontaneous. So if you're an adept dancer, there is no chance that your feet will fall in the out of rhythm. It is always in the rhythm. So if adept dancer never have false steps, that's what Ramakrishna is to say. And that's what is indicated. You have already practiced. And now the goodness has become your reflex. So thus alone will character be established. Then alone, a man, then alone man gets to truth. Such a man is safe forever. He cannot do any evil. You may place him in any company. There will be no danger for him. So after this now, Swami Vivekananda will enter into this spiritual aspect of karma. There are two things. That first we have to try to be good. But the real me is beyond good and evil. To get established in my spiritual dimension, I have to even forsake the good. I have to even... First, I have to try to reform myself by practicing goodness to go to just uh, get rid of the evil. And at last, I have to even get rid of the so-called goodness 
to get established in my real nature. So now Swami Vivekananda will enter into that aspect of the Karma Yoga. That is a still higher step than having this good tendency. And that is the desire for liberation. You must remember that freedom of the soul is the goal of all yogas. And each one equally leads to the same result. By work alone, men may get to where Buddha got largely by meditation or Christ by prayer. So what actually Swamiji is saying? That karma can lead us to the same goal as the Raja Yoga or Bhakti Yoga. Christ by prayer is Bhakti. Buddha by meditation is Raja Yoga. What actually it is in meditation, what uh, we are trying to do, if you read, read the life of Buddha, the final, when he's going uh, to the Nirvana, what's his main practice? As he has uh, discarded the so-called any idea of some spiritual entity, he started from bottom to top. The Buddha's the biggest uh, uh, distinction of Buddha from all other spiritual tradition, all spiritual tradition starts from top, starts from top, that there is God. The thing which I don't realize, there is some spiritual entity. I have to just have a faith on it. I don't realize it. And that's why all the problems start. I just built up assumptions after assumptions. Buddha found that. He is unique in the spiritual history. What he did? He forgot about God. He never denied. He just never brought it into his discussion. His spiritual practice is also something which started from the bottom. What's the bottom? Let us start with the thing which we all realize. God is something which is a matter of belief. It's not a matter of a realization at present. But is there any human being who doesn't understand suffering in the life? Is there anyone who has not go through some misery, suffering? So we find Buddha is starting from there, from the bottom. He's not starting with there is God. What he's starting with? There is Dukkha. There is suffering. So here you will find the big characteristic, the distinction of Buddhism from all other religions. He is down-to-earth man, the most rational person in the history of humankind. No shorts of make-beliefs. Start with what you feel. So there is Dukkha. What is the nature of Dukkha? That why the Dukkha is there? Tanha, the second truth. This is our clinging to something which is always if what is effacing. It is always eluding us. You take your the most, uh, what you say, the delicacy which you like, you taste it. After some time you will be satiated. Next day again, the yearning for it will come back. You will again yearn for it. It never gets satiated. In the words of Swami Vivekananda, it is ever running, never reaching, nor a distant glimpse of shore. Throughout the life we are doing that, chasing after the pleasures. We never get it. The satiation is never reached. In, as in the scripture they say, 
It is like anala, like fire. The more you pour the fuel on it, the more it flares up. The word anala actually means that. In Sanskrit, al alam is a pratyay, which means satiation. That when you are having the most, uh, what is the delicacy which you like, the first serving, you like, you may go for the second serving, you may go for the third. After that, even if it's your the most favorite dish, you will say no. That saying no is that alam. Yes, I'm satisfied for the time being. Why fire is called analam? An is in the sense of negation. That the thing which is never satisfied. An alam. Alam means satisfied, which never. The more you pour of these oblations, the fuel, the more it flares up. And that's our condition is. So Buddha found out there is suffering and the cause of suffering is that that our desires are never, it is never getting fulfilled. Now as a doctor he has diagnosed the disease but now he has to prescribe how to come out. There's a way out. The eightfold path. There's a way out is the third thing that he's giving the hope in the third truth. That what is that? That there is a way out of this dukkha. What is that way out? The fourth Noble Truth speaks of that, the Ashtamarga, the Eightfold Path. Where you will find it ends with mind, this Eightfold Path at the beginning, the six I leave out. The last two are mindfulness and right mindfulness and right meditation. So here, that mindfulness, as Buddha never took God, what was his meditation? To sit and just observe the way the mind is working and not to get identified with them. The thoughts are just something which I don't owe. Whether it is good thought or bad thought, I don't owe. I am something witnessing. I am something separate from that. It is this practice through which Buddha reached the illumination by disidentifying from all the things that is anatma. Many that even the Buddhists sometimes confuses while trying to understand Buddha by saying that Buddha preached non-self. Because the very second lecture of Buddha, the very famous, is the doctrine of non-self. Very interesting. If you really read the words of Buddha, what Buddha is saying, there is no self in the form, that is in the body. There is no self in your mental formations. No self in your emotions. In, so when, if you remove that, the phrase in something, if you just take there is no self, then the meaning just becomes opposite. Buddha has never denied the self. He is just saying that the self is not in the flow. Whether the self is or not, he is not speaking about it. Because that's the thing you have to realize. The thing which you have not realized, I cannot explain you. If I just go on explaining the taste of mango to a person who have not tested, I may explain him for years. It won't make any sense. And Buddha did that. He never spoke. He was silent about the ultimate reality. He only spoke of the way. So there is no self in the flow, in the psychophysical existence. That's what he was indicating. And through that, you get established in your, the real thing which you are, the real me, the real self, by denying the thing with which I'm identifying. So the meditation takes us from this illusory self to the real self. Christ did it by prayer. That this world, 
that one of the famous prayer of Christ, even in the in, even when he was crucified, that Father, into Thy hands I commit my spirit. This body which has been crucified, it belongs to the world. I have nothing to do with it. But the real essential me is the spirit. Very interesting. You will find that the human and the God is mixed in these characters. At first, even Christ, when he was crucified, the first he cried, Oh God, have you forsaken me? But it was just for a moment. The same person in the, in the next moment, what is saying, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. For them, the delusion is something which may come for a fraction of there's a time if the mind is again cleared <clears throat> now we've just see the one who was just asking that question three prayers are there very nice the Christ this last three prayers are wonderful the first he's just as if doubting God oh God have you forsaken me the next thing he's saying now is wonderful oh God please forgive them for they don't know what they're doing I have realized they are yet to reach that state what they're doing is out of ignorance. So they don't know what they're doing. Please forgive them. And the third is just pure realization. Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. So just the prayer also take there. You identify Jesus, this another famous saying of Jesus is that worship the spirit by the spirit. What we do actually, when we worship God. In the words of Swami Vivekananda, God is the means, world is the end. My body and the extension of my body, my pleasures, for that I pray to the God. I am worshipping the spirit for this material existence. But what Christ is saying is wonderful. Worship the spirit by the spirit. But you are essentially spirit. All these things you are asking for is just a bargaining, just like a way we bargain with a tradesman. That's not devotion. That's not prayer. The real prayer is the worshiping of the spirit by the spirit where you have already disidentified yourself from your illusory self, which is identified with your psychophysical existence. You are disidentified. You are the pure spirit, which is always in association with the God, with the Supreme Spirit. And that way you disidentify yourself from the illusory self. The work also does the same thing. It's not to get identified with the good thing, good works, good thoughts. It's just like the Swami Vivekananda will give that example. We will come. It's just like removing a thorn with a thorn. What are the good works meant for? That some, when walking through the street or walking through a forest, you have accidentally stamped over a thorny bush. And a thorn has entered your skin. So how, what do you do? You pluck another thorn from the same thorny bush. And with that, you remove, you pierce, you just pluck out the thorn which has pierced you. And after that, you throw both the thorns. Kata diye kata tola. With the thorn, you pluck out the thorn. So the evil thing has pierced me, pierced my being as if. To get rid of it, the good actions are necessary. But they are not the be-all and end-all. At last, we realize the way we don't owe the bad things, we don't owe the good things also. They are not me. 
Now both are thorns, I throw them off. And that's the liberation, which can be attained even by karma. Without meditation, without prayer, if I can do work selflessly, just without any uh, expectation for the result, the same work can lead me to the liberation the way the Buddha's meditation or Christ's prayer can take me. The same way they can also, the work can also take. Buddha was a working jnani, Jesus was a bhakta. But the same goal was reached by both of them. The difficulty is here. Liberation means entire freedom. Freedom from bondage of good as well as the bondage of evil. The next line is a, one of the very famous quotation of Swamiji. The golden chain is as much a chain as an iron chain. Both binds, isn't it? So then he gives that example of the thorn. There's a thorn in my finger and I use another to take the first one out. And when I've taken it out, I throw both of them aside. I have no necessity for keeping the second thorn because both are thorns after all. And the same lines, even Buddha gives a wonderful example. The very simple words he says, he is a fool who carries the boat in his shoulder after crossing the river. The boat was there to help you cross the river. It has nothing to do with your existence. No one carries the boat in his shoulder after crossing the river. His work has been done. It was there to cross the river. So all the good acts, good thoughts, good deeds are like the boat. They help us to cross the river. No one will be carrying the boat in his shoulder after crossing the river. So he's a fool who carries the boat in his shoulder after crossing the river. That's what Buddha is saying. So golden chain is also a chain. Iron chain is also a chain. The evil things may be like the iron chain. The good are the golden chain. Both are chain. We have to burn out the chain. It has to be burned. And then what happens? The still that the chain may have the appearance of a chain. But once you have burnt it out, it will look like a chain. A realized soul may look like us, an ordinary being. But that's the way the burnt out chain may look like a chain, but you cannot tie anything with it. It has lost, it, it maintains the same textures, the same uh, linings, everything can be seen as it is. You may feel, oh, it is the same thing. But you just go and try to hold it and try to bind something, it immediately crumbles to dust. So it cannot bind. So our aim is not to become golden chain, is not to transform the iron chains to golden chain. It is a process, it has to be done. But after that, it has to be burned so that it loses the power to enchain us. So Swamiji gradually now will be going to that spiritual aspect. First, this goodness is necessary, just like the way we, uh, what you say that, uh, put a fence around a sapling. For the sapling to grow into a tree, first we need a fence so that the grazing animals may not destroy it. There is a fencing. But once the tree has grown, there is no need of that fencing. If the fencing is still needed, means the sapling hasn't grown. That's what Sri Ramakrishna used to say. And Swamiji, how nicely used to say, it is good to be born in a church. By church, he means any religious organization, not only the Christian. Any religious organization, he's indicating by the word church. It is good to be born in a church. 
but it is horrible to die there. It is horrible. So the church is there to integrate our personality with the goodness so that we may not be destroyed by the evils. But, after, but there it doesn't end. It, then we have to outgrow even the goodness also. We have to outgrow. And that's the real spirituality. So that's why it's good to be born in a church, but it is horrible to die there. So these are the uh, quotations which you can relate with these words and try to find out what Swamiji actually is indicating. So the spiritual aspect of it into which Swamiji is now entering gradually, we will take up again in the next class. With this, we stop our discussion today. Namaskar Swamiji, thank you. Hariyom Swamiji. Hariyom. Thank you so much. Namaskar Swamiji. Namaskar. Pranam Swamiji. Namaskar. Namaskar.